0: Welcome to the InfoQ podcast, a software engineering podcast brought to you by the same team behind InfoQ.com. InfoQ.com is a software engineering news site. The site aims to help progressive software development teams adopt new technologies. InfoQ also brings you QCon, the international software conferences. I'm Barry Bird, a professor at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. I'm speaking with Wendy Clausen. Wendy has over a decade of experience immersed in development and championing agile practices. She coaches technology leaders to manage effectively, respond reasonably, and navigate the choppy waters of business. Wendy, welcome to the InfoQ podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Your your title is technologist coach. How does technology influence your coaching?
1: It's more the domain of expertise that I coach in. So I don't coach the technology. I coach the people using technology, software developers, CTOs, program managers. So
0: the fact that you speak their language, understand their language, understand the kinds of things that they've done Mm -hmm. is important to your work. Very much so. In what ways does it help?
1: Well, it helps because software is a very abstract experience, creating it, using it. It doesn't even really live in the physical world when you think about it. I mean, it's on hard drives, right? But it's just ones and zeros. And so it can be very difficult to communicate ideas about software, either the experience of using it or the creation of it um, to people outside of the software world.
0: We live in a world where people manage other people and the people who are doing some of the managing don't have experience doing the kinds of things that the people that they manage do.
1: It's a scary world. Is
0: that a problem?
1: (laughs) Well... I think it's possible, and I've seen people in that position do their job well when you think of your job as a service leadership job. It's your job to facilitate. It's your job to trust. It's your job to understand what people are saying. Um, without the background, though, that trust is hard to keep around because a lot of things can get lost in translation.
0: What brought you from technology to coaching?
1: Um, I was a software developer um, and uh, a mom. I had a a young baby, and I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I did treatment for about a year, but statistics were not on my side. So I uh, kind of retired my keyboard, replaced it with a yoga mat to try to figure out how to find health. Um, And in doing that, I learned a lot of practices that actually I thought could really help software development. And I was also trained in executive coaching, so I kind of brought them back together, integrating the mindful practices with executive coaching and software development.
0: So tell me about the kinds of practices that you, that you profess.
1: Me personally? Yes. For myself or for teams? For teams. For teams. Um, or both. Well, I'm like really hardcore into it um, because, well, my life depended on really... Adopting some of these practices Uh, But for teams, maybe uh, Some meditation for individuals depending on how open they are into it how much they want it Uh, Nonviolent communication. I'm a big fan of I think it really helps clear up communication simplify So those are the two the two big ones Um, I Think that there's a lot to learn in the psychology of parenting and in understanding what impacts us as children. Because we're, we're like walking around, we're adults, we're cooked, and a lot of the junk that we're carrying around has to do with our childhood. So when you understand the kind of junk people pick up in their childhood, you can relate to them a little bit better. You see them in their adults.
0: Do you find that managers and or developers are open to hearing about such practices?
1: Yeah. Yeah, even more and more so as time goes on. I think we live in a world of a lot of overwhelm and as software needs to be built faster and like you said, there's people who just don't understand it asking for it. People are frustrated. We don't really get to necessarily work the way we want to work. We're not necessarily respected the way we should be respected. Um, And there's uh, a lot of challenges around trust I find between business and development. But I think
0: of challenges around trust as stemming from the fact that business, once things done, they want it done now, they want it done cheaply. Sure. I'm wondering how things like mindful meditation, mindful work, um, fit into the business mentality or fit into the traditional business mentality.
1: Well, a mindful work, a lot of businesses are adopting it these days, like to add to the practice. Um, but even a few minutes a day of meditation can help you be less reactive. So even if you are not the person on the end of saying what I call impending doom of we need it now or else the world's going to explode, you are not as triggered by that impending doom. So impending doom, in my opinion, should be met with a risk analysis. Like, okay, what's going on? What's at risk? Where are the chances of it, being, of it happening? And what kind of impact is it going to have on the business? So then I can speak to this person and understand why they're freaking out. And 90% of the time, their freak out calms down. Because when you look at these facts, it's like, okay, the world's not exploding. I've lived in a world where the world is exploding. And most of the time in our lives, we're not in that world.
0: Are there people who resist the kinds of things that you have to offer? Oh, yeah. And how do you (laughs) deal with that?
1: Not take it personally. You know, you have to meet people where we are. There's this idea of the next adjacent path which is I'm here, in the circle over here, and I want to get to point B. And between A and B, there's many different blocks to go through, right? So I can't just jump to B. A lot of us try to jump to B, and then we usually fall on our face and sometimes end up even back before where we were. So you need to recognize where a person is and try to meet them where they are and just bring them up a notch.
0: So let's, let's try to invent here a, a typical scenario. I don't want to bust any, any confidential information about anybody, but what kind of a problem might an organization have? How would they approach you? How would you decide whether or not you wanted to work with them? And when you did decide to work with them, how would you try to sort out their problems? Who would you meet with? What kinds of things might you offer?
1: Uh, so typically people come to me when their teams are pretty poorly performing. Um, there could be conflicts. There's not a lot of happy faces. Um, sometimes people come before then, but usually it's like, if you're going to get into mindful stuff, it's like you, you've tried everything else. Just like me when I got sick, it was like the Western side of the world wasn't giving me what I needed. So I needed to go out of my comfort zone. So the same thing. You know, you you have to be at the point where you're ready to get out of your comfort zone to um, take on some of these practices. And not all of them are, are like, crazy. It's like, I'm not like, I I don't go in there and I'm like, oh, like, come on, everyone, let's imagine the sun. And I've done that before, but (laughs) usually it's a lot more uh, subversive. (laughs) Okay, in what way? Um, Sometimes just having a calm presence being present with the person in communication, asking them questions in a way that helps them discover something in themselves is all you really need to do. And that's like coaching one-on-one, like asking the right questions. But there's more than just asking the right questions. It's the experience of love, having someone talk to you and being able to share things and not be received in judgment. It's something we don't receive very often in our lives.
0: Are there some teams that you find impossible to fix?
1: Yes. It's not my job to fix them. I can't fix them. The only person who could fix them are the people inside the team. So are there, are
0: there some teams that you find do not fix themselves?
1: Of course, yeah. We're comfortable being uncomfortable. The vast majority of people in teams want to remain in the state that they're in, in their comfort zone. So a lot of times you go in and people, they don't want to change. They don't want to see the things. And they're not interested. And that's okay.
0: So I hate to assign... No, I'm going to say I hate to assign percentages. I love to assign percentages. To what extent, what percentage can we assign to a team not functioning in a typical team to problems that are purely technical Mm -hmm. versus the kinds of problems that you would want to address head-on with your techniques?
1: I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Okay. I think the vast majority of problems we have even if they seem technical in nature, have to do with outside experiences. Like sure, maybe you have a team of junior developers who don't know what they're doing and so they've created a lot of debt, but chances are you have a team of developers who do know what they're doing and the debt got created for a reason, not because they don't want to do a good job and not necessarily because people are just, you know, throwing stuff down their throat. There's a lot of possibilities to create that place where you create code, it's making bugs all the time or there's some conflict between product and development.
0: What about conflicts between people? Do you encounter that often?
1: Yeah, people have conflicts.
0: So can you divulge those secrets? What are some of the most annoying things that people can do at work to be unproductive or help their team members be unproductive?
1: Well, I think that attachment, of course. I remember when I first... um, was starting to recover from treatment and I was reading about all kinds of spiritual philosophies and I was reading about Buddhism. And I was like, you know, Buddhism is a lot like agile development because it's, it's in a way agile development is hard because you're like a, a colony of ants, you kind of get rid of the eye and you work as a team, you get rid of the ownership. And that for me was a, a hard transition personally because I was like a cowboy coder in my, in my early days and I liked that, I liked going fast, I liked making my code, I liked it looking just right. And then opening to team ownership, you have to let so much of that go. You have to have trust that it's going to go the way it needs to go because everyone is trying to do the right thing.
0: Do you miss coding?
1: I don't know. That's a hard question. I Coding was never a thing I would do without getting paid, even when I really loved doing it. I enjoyed doing it, but there was this attachment to money, which to me means it's not my higher destiny career right because it's not something that necessarily brings me joy unless i'm creating a product that that brings me joy in that case so it's about the product to me software is a tool programming is a tool like a pen is a tool no one is a you know i mean back in the day people wrote because no one else knew how to speak right paper costs a lot of money and so perhaps one day programmers won't exist either because it's just It gets done. AI does it, or just everyone knows how to program. I don't know what it is. But right now, we're we're the experts in how to create software.
0: One of the things you mentioned in the write-up for your talk here at QCon is algorithmic approach to communicating. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me something about that?
1: Sure. So the algorithmic approach to communicating is um, not so much about sentence structure, although in the talk we're going to talk about word smells, We have code smells where we can see something's going on, it's not adhering to best practices. And so there's certain phrases we use in our language that also are putting a veil over reality. They're going to create miscommunication and conflict. And so you can change your wording, but the way we speak, we've been programmed to speak that way. We've been speaking this way our entire lives. So it doesn't just change overnight. I need to actually become conscious in my word. Every sentence needs to be a form of meditation in a way. But who has time to do that? Right. Yeah, so the algorithmic approach actually has more to do with, okay, how do we create new habits around our speaking so that we can stop saying these things and embrace these other ways of speaking?
0: So now I have two follow-up questions. One of them is, what are some of the terrible things that we say, Mm -hmm. or what are some of the things that we say that, that we say terribly? And the other is, how do we fix it?
1: (laughs) Um, So you fix it with practice, with changing. Like I said, we've been speaking this way. We have habits formed in our brain, right? We have our frontal lobe, which is our our brain of consciousness and decision-making, and then we have our reptilian brain. And when our amygdala goes off, we're in our reptilian brain, which is most of the time. We're on automatic pilot. And so we need to make it so our automatic pilot actually is speaking with these terms. And so... That was part two of the question. You asked two questions at once. I'm telling you backwards. So the part one, what are some things that we say that um, create conflict or miscommunication? And a big one is the word should. I call it should shame. The word should implies judgment. When you say should in the past, in your own head, how do you feel? I should have done this. Terrible. Terrible, right? Right. That creates depression. It doesn't let you move forward. I should have done that. You change that word around to say, I could have done that. What happens?
0: Um, still feel guilty. Yeah. I'm, I think I'd feel better if I said to myself, I can do this next time. You can or do I it can, next time. I will, I will do it differently.
1: Yeah, next time. I could have, and I didn't. Yeah. Next time, I'll do it differently. The should gets us stuck. And the same thing when we look at should outside of ourselves. That person should be doing this. That person should be doing that. Drive you crazy. Driving yourself crazy over something you have no control over. That person could be doing this. When we say could, then suddenly it's like, but why aren't they? It's a choice. It's all about choice. When we lose our choice, we lose our free will. Mm -hmm. That, That creates just lack of hope. That takes away everything.
0: So what are some of the other things that we need to... What are some other words... That evoke this no i'm what I'm hearing is a notion of accusation. You should have done it this mm-hmm. way
1: yeah judgment. what are what
0: are some other things to avoid saying?
1: there's well, um, I feel like, so we say I feel like all the time. Now
0: by the way, in the sixties, that's exactly what they told us to say.
1: I feel like
0: Well, I feel instead of this is the way it is or this is the way mm-hmm. you are. And so
1: on. Well, sure, that's taking way judgment. You want to put things on yourself, but 90% or more of the time when you say, I feel X, you're not saying an emotion. Like, I feel rejected. What is rejected? Rejected is a letter you get in the mail from college saying you didn't get in. Rejected is a lover standing you up. Rejected is someone telling you no. Okay. But rejected is putting a judgment on someone else's activity. I'm rejected because someone behaved a different way.
0: Well, the way that we were told this story, again, I'm referring back to Mm -hmm. the human potential movement in the 60s, was that if instead of saying you're... A so and so type person, you say I feel mm-hmm. such and such
1: by yeah, so uh, your
0: behavior. It's putting the it's it's, it's saying, putting it on you. Be- so
1: you're you're a step up, but we're gonna evolve further now, okay, right? Okay, we're taking it away from you. We're putting it on me. Yep. but I don't feel rejected. I'm heartbroken. Okay. You know, if you have a real feeling, you could just say, I am. I am sad. I am happy. Okay. I am anxious. All right. I am rejected. When you're rejected, you may be anxious. Mm -hmm. But when I'm rejected, I'm heartbroken. Okay. So there's a problem because I'll say rejected, but you're not going to give me the response I need. You're not going to be able to give me empathy in the way that will fulfill my needs because your empathy of rejection is different than my empathy of rejection. Okay. So that's problem one with the I feel. The second problem with the I feel is putting judgment over someone else's actions. And a lot of times we'll treat them that way. I feel rejected because you didn't pick up my phone call. I'm going to treat you like you rejected me, where you may have been doing a podcast, had nothing to do with me.
0: In the write-up for your talk for this conference, you mentioned authenticity in communication. Mm -hmm. Doesn't authenticity conflict with having an approach and I'm making air quotes as I yeah. say the word approach.
1: Yeah. What um, do you think? Well, I have two separate answers for this question. So the first answer I already gave, which is this is more about how we're going to change our habits to make this automatic, so it's it's not so much algorithmic in the words we're saying. Yeah. A little bit, but I think the um, the interesting thing, this is the other side to the answer, is nonviolent communication is where a lot of these smells come from. Um, so, and when you start to do nonviolent communication, or if you've talked to someone who does it, they seem very robotic in the way they're speaking because they're trying to be conscious in their words, and they're using words they're not usually used to using or comfortable with. So it does come off in the beginning when you start making these changes as a little awkward.
0: But you have to get into the practice of it.
1: You need to get into the practice of it.
0: I have a friend who is very much against being politically correct. Okay. Is his notion of the world in conflict with yours?
1: I don't see why. No? No. I Political correctness is, is about saying things with the fear of displeasing others or offending someone, Um, where I think our word is a powerful tool. You know, in a single word, you can elevate a population or you can destroy a friendship. So I think our word is valuable. So I like to be conscious in what I'm saying so that I can uplift people. However, you don't have to do that.
0: So I'm going to make a blanket statement, and the blanket statement is to summarize what you're saying in half a sentence. Go for it. And I know that what you're going to say in response is, no, that's not quite what I'm saying. You've oversimplified it.
1: Okay. We could do an improv say. I will say, great, and...
0: Yeah, let's let's try it that way. And my blanket statement is, all you have to do is remember to phrase things so that you don't hurt other people, so that you don't hurt so that you don't jostle so that you don't offend your team makers. I'm sure that what I'm saying is oversimplifying your case. Please tell me
1: how. Okay. So it's really, if we're going to turn it back, it's all about you, right? We hurt other people in our communication. Well, sometimes we could just be mean or sometimes we can be manipulative. Um, But a lot of times it's because we trigger something in them. We say something that triggers an emotional response in them. And so this is about avoiding phrases phrases that trigger responses and also trying to use language that will just help people understand you. Something that's universal for people is feelings. We've all felt sad and needs. Sometimes we need to be acknowledged. We need love, we need connection, we need community. And so when we can talk in a way so that we're at this level, like the heart level, where we're really trying to connect with those things and not how we got there, that's like the mind level, we can communicate more clearly.
0: Do good pros and good software have anything in common?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Simplicity is divinity. So simplicity in code is where someone can look at your code and understand your intention. They can understand the contracts and responsibilities and understand what's going to happen when they make a change. The same thing in communication in real life. It is if someone can understand what is your intention, what are your contracts, what are your responsibilities. So when we can get to the simplicity of understanding someone else, that's where magic can happen. What
0: are some of the kinds of things that people do to make their communication more complicated? less understandable
1: well any of these smells like as soon as you add judgment as soon as you're d like as soon as you're adding layers on top of your underlying needs feelings and observations you're adding your own stuff inside your head or inside your heart that no one can see so that's where it starts getting complicated you're you're a black box we don't think of ourselves as black boxes. Sometimes we think like, oh, I can't believe they said that's me when I'm upset, but did you tell anyone you are upset? You know, we, we think people think like us, even though we say in our head, no, people don't think like me. I know people don't think like me, but we still treat people like they think like you. We still treat people like they feel like you for the reasons you do.
0: Well, because it's the only reference that we have. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but what about communicating a story that is of necessity ugly? A person really isn't carrying their weight in a team.
1: Yeah, those, those can be really hard conversations. So this is where you really need clarity and responsibility. Like, this is what you're responsible for. Now you know, it, when you have retrospectives, frequent ret- retrospectives... The sooner you have these conversations, the better. A lot of teams wait. They wait. They're like, okay, this person, they'll eventually come through. They'll eventually do what they're supposed to do. I've had people come to me complaining about a person, their role, wanting me to coach them, but they've never told the person what is success. Like, what is your role? What is your B point? These are very simple things you can change to help help improve someone. So let's say you make that clear. You say, this is by this date we you need to do these things x y and z and then let's say they don't make that date well you need to tell them if, beforehand what what's going to happen and you need to help them too
0: does building software come into play here i'm wondering if the advice that you're giving is good for any team yes. software or not software oh, of course any there, team but there must be some special things that you say to, to software, software teams well, be, because after all you, you are heard more having done software yourself.
1: Yeah. yeah. So software-specific like conversations or someone's under... Let's say you have someone and they're making buggy code. Let's say, okay, how about... Or Git, right? They're not putting comments on Git. Or they're not doing pull requests. Or they're not um, following practices. Whatever they're doing. They keep checking into the main branch. And it's something really simple, right? So you can say something that a lot of people do. They'll be like, here's our best practices. You're not following them. Follow them. And the person continues to not follow them. And they say, here are our best practices. Follow them. And the person continues not to practice, like not to do them. So there's a miscommunication here in that for whatever reason, this person's not doing the practices and the person telling them to is assuming it's because they just don't understand. You don't understand what the practices are, I'm going to tell you what they are again. But in reality, you have to figure out why. Like, what's keeping you from committing to a branch? And it may be something simple, like, I don't know how to make a branch, (laughs) can you help me make a branch? Sometimes people are embarrassed, you know, they'd rather not follow standards than ask simple questions. Or it could be something like, I don't believe in branches, I'm not gonna make a branch. That case, you have a problem. You're like, you're a part of this team. This is the practices we do. This is what we've agreed on. This is our contract as a team. You know, having teams have contracts is very important. Like, these are the practices we follow. We do solid, right? We do test-driven development. We choose to do these things because we believe in them. And whenever anyone breaks that contract, you can make a conversation about it that's not judgmental, it's an observation. Like, hey, you checked in code. It wasn't tested. What's going on?
0: In a sense, it sounds as if um, dealing with the issues in a software team might even be more straightforward than dealing with issues in a team where the things that they have to do, the tasks that they have to perform, are less immediately measurable.
1: I think a great deal of frustration with software teams comes from the art of software creation. You know, just disagreement on those core agreements we do solid we do touch-driven development we you know style our code this way no and sometimes just not agreeing on those and not having the actual conversation around it you know sometimes we really like each other so we want to stay on a team but we can't agree on our foundation we're always going to have problems
0: so how do you help those people
1: you you say you help people let people go in that situation you can't agree on the foundation and no one's willing to move, you got to break up. It's like a love relationship, right?
0: Well, or else you try to make each person understand the other person's point of view and get them to meet halfway. Of
1: course, yeah. But compromise isn't always the best thing. Now, compromise can work really well if meeting halfway, everyone believes in it, like a true win-win. But if it's like an eh, eh, and no one's really feeling passionate about it, that's not going to create the best code.
0: Uh, Are there... um ways, different ways that we can communicate most effectively for different platforms, face-to-face versus phone versus email versus social media? Do each of those platforms have their own special pitfalls?
1: Well, I think as you go up the scale of being further away from the person, your chances of miscommunication increase. So if you have something to share that you think could be misinterpreted, try to make it as close to in-person as possible. And in the case that it can't be in person, be very careful with your wording. Start with small bits and then, you know, have a call and response kind of experience of seeing is this person really connecting.
0: Uh, Does technology in the electronic age spoil our communicating?
1: No, I think it creates a lot of awesomeness in communicating. It creates the ability for you to, you know, teams to work across the globe I can talk to my grandparents, they can see their grandkid, and they're in Florida, they can't travel anymore. I mean, it creates a lot of wonderful, beautiful gifts. At the same time, it creates a lot of overwhelm. It creates the ability to send a message that thousands of people can hear and misinterpret. It creates the experience that things can be done right now because you can call someone and, or send them an email or have a text. So we need to have moderation And consciousness in the way we apply these tools.
0: But it also cuts off our one-to-one face-to-face communication with people in a way that some people miss. Oh, yeah. And this notion that you can read a sentence that someone else wrote halfway across the globe and easily misinterpret it could be problematic for the working of teams, especially when a team is distributed around the world. It's
1: problematic all the time, definitely. And that, that problem is really just teams... Are dysfunctional in person, and then just multiply that exponentially as they get further apart in culture in time zone
0: are there cultural problems with communications among developers in various parts oh, of yeah. the globe
1: yeah that's a that's a whole different talk i 'm not the expert on that one okay but your your culture we're conditioned by our culture we believe certain things if you grew up in Paris and you see a woman topless on the beach that 's normal but you're in America and you see that and you know people are going to be pissed or not pissed you know but it has a very different experience
0: right but even in a in a technical setting yeah a technical people, the setting way people work i mean if you different... if
1: you talk to people in india they're a lot more they don't understand certain types of humor we use or they they follow directions in a different way there's and this is true for any culture
0: How important is um, self-confidence in being an effective communicator?
1: Well, I think that a big part of self-confidence comes from authenticity. And when we're confident, we are more likely to be authentic because we're not scared to tell the truth. And so our communication becomes more powerful. And there are people who break this rule who are very confident, Um, And don't speak the truth. They're just confident. And, you know, that will last so long before trust is broken.
0: Can a developer be productive without being a good communicator?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on your definition of productivity. To me, as I said earlier, like programming is, is a tool to solve a problem. So do they understand the problem? Do other people have to understand the code? I've seen developers who are great at communicating intention in their code, and that's the most important part. Can you, hear, can you see the intention in their code? And that's great. They'll create great code, but if that same person isn't connected to the solution and understanding that, it doesn't matter what their code is. So you do need both, but it's always possible for them to be on a team where other people on the team are really great at understanding the solution, and then they work together.
0: Uh, you've been a champion of Agile practices. Um, is a good communicator necessarily Agile in one way or another?
1: No, no. Definitely not. No. I think that Agile practices rely on good communication. You need to be communicating with the product owner. You need to be communicating with each other for team ownership. You need to be communicating to continually evolve. Talk about what's going right, what's going wrong. Um, But these are not exclusive to Agile. You could be in a waterfall environment and communicate. I would even say with waterfall, it's super important to communicate because otherwise you're going to get the wrong thing built.
0: (laughs) I wasn't talking about, strictly speaking, Agile in the technical sense versus Uh, Waterfall in the technical sense. I was thinking of a certain agility in being able to communicate with others.
1: Oh, being Agile gives you an ability to communicate more easily if you're not as agile it may be more difficult to communicate
0: so it is in in some sense a necessary property of a
1: I know, I wouldn't call it necessary it really depends on the type of communication we'll have different different styles different mediums you know if you're not as agile maybe your best communication medium to get your thoughts out is to blog not necessarily do uh, interview
0: so speaking of interviews i have 3 Specialized communicator roles. I teach college full time. I write technology books for novice developers, and I write technology articles. Are there any tips that apply especially to my tasks?
1: Did you want to schedule a consultation? Not ex- not explicitly.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, you just named three different mediums. So I. Well,
0: let's it's... pick one of them. Is there a particular? Is there a particular realm in which, say, either. I like how your body posture
1: just changes. Absolutely. Okay, I'm not going to be facing you this whole time. And now, oh, it has to do with me. Absolutely. Let me open up to receive. (laughs) So choose a medium. Which one are you most interested in improving?
0: Well, let's talk about writing technology articles. Okay. In what sense could a person communicate better in that realm?
1: Well, I think the most important part in technology articles is understanding your audience. What, what level are they at? What do most people understand? Because if, if they're not able to comprehend the material, you're not going to be able to communicate with them very well.
0: Of course. And what can I do best to make that happen?
1: Uh, I think asking questions of the audience, knowing, you know, saying, okay, what do you understand, what not, like user testing.
0: Right. Now but, but when you're writing and here it is and it's on paper or on a blog.
1: Yeah.
0: You don't get that immediate feedback. So what do you do? What happens? How do you how, how do you how do you understand your audience when you're not in a medium where you're gonna get immediate feedback? I don't know. Oh, okay. Are you,
1: are you omniscient? Like <laughs> when you're not gonna get I immediate were. feedback? I don't I think knowing an audience Without immediate feedback, you could use some research, like look at other popular blogs or books that that audience likes, see what they do, that people enjoy, do some research.
0: You mentioned Andrew Carnegie in your write-up for your talk. Uh, Andrew Carnegie was all about influencing people. And I'm wondering, does it compromise our work if we put effort into influencing people?
1: So this is... um, a good question. I think this is the most important question you're asking me, because I think influencing people is a very important part of the job of the software developer. We are the experts in what we're creating, and people who do not know the ramifications of our decisions are asking us to do things for them. And if we're not able to influence them, we're not going to be building great products, and we can potentially hurt a lot of innocent people.
0: You've been listening to the InfoQ podcast. I'm Barry Bird. I've been speaking with Wendy Claussen, who coaches technology leaders to manage effectively. Wendy, thank you for being here.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah.